welcome to podcast number 24 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can also email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. Major Darrell Kelly OAM recently joined my father and I on a call to discuss the service of my grandfather, Charles Harold Hatt, in World War I. Charles was a gunner with the 4th Battery, 2nd Field Artillery Brigade, and landed on Gallipoli on the 26th of April 1915 and survived for two days before being shot and wounded. He was medically repatriated to the UK and back to Australia before being medically discharged from the first AIF in April 1916. We have a photo taken of him in August 1916 with Sergeant Stripes and Darrell has some thoughts on that photo. Darrell is a semi-retired professional soldier with over 42 years service in the Australian Army. An artilleryman by trade, he rose through the ranks to become one of the senior regimental sergeant majors in the Army before being selected for commissioning. He has seen operational service in Malaya, Sinai, Iraq and the Middle East. Darrell is a keen student of military history specialising in Australia's involvement in the First World War. Join us on a conversation with Darrell about my grandfather and the artillery during the landing at Gallipoli. Father, my grandfather, so that's Charles Harold Hatt, H-A-T-T. Now, um, he and my grandmother married, was it 1921 or later than 1920s, Dad? Winsome, no, 1928, I think it was. It was after the, a year after the opening of Federal Parliament. Right. So, cool. and, and and your your grandmother's name was um, was Lucy. Uh, no, no, no. My uh, well, uh, David's grandmother was Winsome Mary Hall, as it turned out. It was Hatton Hall. Uh, my father's he was born in what eighteen ninety four as as a as a Hall, but his father died in his early thirties, and we're not quite sure what happened to him. But his mother, Lucy then remarried a hat. So he had a hat and a hall, and uh, my mother was a milliner. And when she got out, she said, I, I never want to see another hat again in my life. So <laughs> my dad referred to his, his, his original name. Oh, great yes. families. But there you are. That that was the uh, yeah the reasoning behind that. So when he, so, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, so, so when he enlisted in the first AIF, he was a hat. H A double T. Yes, and and then that's right. But he's and then obviously when he married my grandmother, they they reverted back to the surname Hall H A double L. So that's why we're Halls. Yeah, and uh, the um, we'll go on to it in a minute. But one of the, the theories I have on that is that he actually had to sign a stat deck uh, in the 1942 to get his um, he'd lost his return from active service badge. Yes. And at 1942 was the height of when um, you know, uh, men of fighting age uh, were getting the white feather. And yeah. uh, so, and straight after that, he had to sign a stat deck to say, in fact, his real name was Hall. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, that, yeah, that, that white feather stuff, boy. <laughs> it, was, it was an ordinary time, wasn't it, really? So uh, my, my, uh, my, my wife's grand, grandfather got one and, uh, and the like, and uh, I... I I lecture on it in part, in one of the briefs I do, but um, 
yeah, but uh, that might just throw a little bit of light onto it and yeah. some other information I've picked up as well. So I, um, I've, I've moved back to Melbourne. I was living in Dubai for 16 years and Dad okay. came across to Dubai two years ago. It was February... Uh, February 16, actually. 2016, three years. My God, time flies. Yeah, so three he, years now. Time flies. Yeah, it was. So yep. when, when Dad came across to Dubai, he had no idea that I'd arranged it, but I surprised him by announcing that, that I was taking him to, to, to Gallipoli. So we trotted off to, to Istanbul, and sure. uh, and we went down to Gallipoli for a day um, and, and spent a day down at, at Anzac Cove. So... Um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the diaries, I've read some of the diaries. So, so grandfather, so Charles Hat, um, we think landed on the 26th. Um, but it, it'd be really good to hear from you because I know you've had, um, you know, you've delved into the research and the history of the landing of the artillery at Anzac Cove. So I might sort of hand over to you to have a to hear about uh, from the historical and and the. Um, by all means. Um, so, David, did you mention when you said you've read the diaries, was that the war diaries of the 2nd Field Artillery Brigade and four batteries, yeah. or was this personal diaries? Uh, no, no. We, we, don't, we, we have a few postcards and stuff that, that he's left, but, the, but they're sure. the war diaries. So I do remember seeing that entry where, um, where he was listed as wounded or, or hit on the 28th of April, I think, from memory. 28th, along with a gunner Haywood. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a three days he lasted, didn't he? I think it was about... Only a very short period of time, unfortunately. But anyway. oh, it was. And in fact, what I've done, you gentlemen, is to... Um, I've scanned a, um, a portion of a book called The Gunners, and it's by a very noted author by the name of um, David Horner, and it talks about the gun going on and off um, and the amount of rounds and the first the first gun going in on the 25th. And then subsequently there were some more guns were landed the next day. So the, f- the first gun, I'm sure, was, was a four-battery gun. Um, and it was dragged in by horses and then manhandled in position. It took 100 men to manhandle a gun. Yeah. Um, in that was an 18-pounder, Daryl, if I can just... Yes, it would be. Um, and 18-pounders are, are um, an understanding which is uh, need to um, know about is a gun fires low-angle ammunition, uh, low-angle trajectory. A howitzer can fire high-angle. Um, and a, an 18 pounder gun is limited. Um, I mean, it was a brilliant gun uh, for, for, its, uh, for that era. Um, but the problem they had was that um, it's limited on its, um, on its elevation. And that's because when you see a photo of an 18 pounder gun, there's a, what they call a pole trail. So it's a single trail that comes um, off the back of the gun and it's got uh, a spade at the end. So that spade digs yep. in and provides stability to the gun. Yeah. But in, in what we call equipment principles, it's only got three points of contact. That is both wheels and the spade at the back. But um, that spade's directly below, or the trail is directly below the breach, and that's what inhibits its, um, its ability yeah. to, uh, to gain elevation. Which even, made it, even to dig I, a big hole for the back spade, I suppose. That's it's right. still restricted yep. by the body of the, um, of the gun itself then, is it? It is. It is. Then okay. the accuracy becomes um, um, yeah. impaired uh, and the like. But a, uh, a gun, uh, sorry, a howitzer or what they call a gun howitzer can yeah. fire um, higher trajectory. Um, the, the Indians had them there, uh, but uh, we had the 18 pounder gun. Yeah, was it? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, well, I heard this was one of the problems. They, they, they you know, with the difficulty getting it up onto that, I call it the first landing. What was the name of that little hill, David, that uh, they, they actually. It wasn't all that far from the beach, but it was it was reasonably flat. But by God, getting there was a bit of a job. And yeah. I'm just looking at a photograph, actually, of we, uh, 
when we when we went down to Anzac Cove, we went straight up to Plague's Plateau. Yes. But we looked, we came around yeah. the northern part. Yeah. We looked at that slope where the photo shows the the gun being manhandled. Now that that, that that's a fourth yes. a fourth battery gun, is it, Daryl? Uh, if that was taken on the on the first day, yeah. um, that would yeah. be. Uh, yeah. And it's very hard because the photos um, and the record keeping, more people had, had their, their, um, their concentration on staying alive on day one uh, because the battle had gone, gone further inland. But the, uh, the German, uh, sorry, I should say the Turkish artillery had begun to, to fire. Um, and if you position yourself on Anzac Cove and you look um, to your right, so if you're looking you know, with your back to the water and looking straight into the uh, hillside yeah. of Anzac Cove, Gabatipi, which is the far... Um, right-hand side, and it's a rather prominent feature that comes out. That was the Anzac's right of, um, right of arc, where they could, uh, the right, um, right flank of the landing. And Fisherman's Hut, which is to the left and further down past uh, where the Anzac commemorative site is, um, Fisherman's Hut is the left, the left extremity of, of our Anzac um, area to land. So the thing about that they landed in the wrong spot um, is a bit of a fallacy. Uh, they landed right in the middle of, of the intended areas. Um, had they landed a little bit further to the north, the other side of, um, of where that photo was taken, yeah. where the beach is long and flat, uh, that, um, that could have had devastating effects. They would have been uh, uh, umbilated with fire. Um, yeah. So uh, the, gun, the gun that went ashore was a four-battery gun. Um, it landed, was re, um, reloaded again, sent back out to the ship, turned around and then came back in. And I've got some good entries of that to um, to send you um, after our conversation. And, and that was and that was on the 25th, on, on the landing itself? That's right. It put its first rounds downrange at 6pm, 1800 hours. Right. But that, but that's and it was engaging that... those guns. It was, it was engaging the guns on the other two. Wow. And, and, and that was but... after, after being la- landed, taken back and landed again, is that right? That's right. There, they, yeah, the, uh, the the beach party said, "Yeah, we've got no use for guns here," and uh, sent them back out. And then it was yeah. turned around. And there's entries. Um, the gun sergeant talks about it. So your your father, or and in Dave, your grandfather, may very well have been one of that one of that detachment. I I just um, I can't put my finger on that to say categorically yes. In it was his four battery gun. Yeah. Sorry, in, in, in his postcard, we've got, we've got some letters, got some correspondence he wrote back to his mother. So he tells us that he landed um, very early morning of, of the 26th. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I had, the, uh, I had the postcards. Let me just have a quick look. Um, th- there's another sure. question I had, uh, Daryl, was that the photo... Let me just see if I can... Yes, I'm looking at the photo myself. Yeah, yeah. it was the photo also of um, uh, of the pontoons. One gun, this is from the Australian War Memorial, one gun and wagons are the 4th Battery, 2nd Filatory Brigade in one pontoon. Um, yes. Now, do we know whether that was on the 25th or 26th? Is there any sort of indication of I, when that I would have was? to go back and look at that pontoon one. I'm just looking at the one where they're manhandling up. Yeah. Um, now, so, can I ask you then, the yep. one we're looking at here, it, it, it's got an officer in the yep. foreground. Looks like he's got a white something on his right elbow there. Um, and then to the right yeah, of that is that. another fellow with his slouch hat turned up. And, of course, in, in the background, that made a bit of elevation, there's... Nothing but people and a, and a great big wheel which stands out of the gun. 
Uh, that's right. So that's the gun. And the yep. ones at the front would be on um, on what's called drag ropes, like big tow yep. ropes, and they would oh, hook okay. around the axle on hooks. Oh, and, uh, that's, and then that's they'd the mob. That's the crowd to the left of them. I was wondering what the heck they were doing there, actually. That's right. Yeah, so there's certainly um, you know, one of those. But uh, that, that actual position, I've walked um, what they call Artillery Road, which goes from... Um, just up from Chapel Gully and goes all the way up past what was known as Shell Green, which was the only bit of flat land. And that's where the famous cricket game um, eventuated uh, just prior to the, um, uh, the evacuation. And on the other side of that was a number of gun positions. Um, and I, I placed a lot of credence in the fact it was called Artillery Road, um, and that would be for a reason. So uh, I'd have to do a little bit more research on that photo um, and the like, but certainly uh, I'll look for things called uh, map overlays, uh, and that may throw some uh, some light onto it as well. Now I've I've found the postcards, and I'll just I'll read you this, Daryl. This is from my cool. grandfather um, writing to his mother. So he writes: When we got our first gun ashore on Sunday afternoon, 25th, the infantry on the beach took charge of it and said they would pull it anywhere. They had no artillery support until this gun opened fire late in the afternoon we could not get any yep. more ashore. and that married up yep. yeah uh, we could not get yeah, any that's more... marrying up with what was said yeah yep. okay and then he writes we could not get any more ashore until monday morning when i landed on account of the snipers yep. having control of the landing place the fourth battery mm-hmm. landed the first gun on the peninsula i was there monday and tuesday and i was hit wednesday morning at 1:30 a.m was on a stretcher on the beach for five and a half hours. I was one of the first to be brought down that morning. As others were being brought along, they were put next to me. And I, I'm, I'm having trouble reading some of the writing. Sort something were closed in and had to wait until... Oh, I was closed in and had to wait until the others were taken away. But anyway, I would have had two and a half hours wait. This is not very cheerful, but you asked me for it. Anyway, yeah, so th- then he goes on about uh, about his time in, in hospital in, in the UK. He was writing to his brother. So so we know that he got here, got, he landed on Monday morning, the 26th, and was, was yep. hit, hit by a Turkish sniper on Wednesday morning at 1.30am, which marries up with those diary entries you uh, sent us. Yep, absolutely. Um, and there was, uh, uh, and it turns out that um, the exact thing in the uh, entries in the Second Field Artillery Brigade Battle uh, War Diary stipulates this gun went out at this time, this gun went out at this time, and from which battery. So it was a mixture of two batteries, uh, and that marries all up. Um, on the 25th, um, General Birdwood um, uh, signaled to uh, his Navy counterpart out, um, out at the ships, please stop sending field artillery. Um, so that's how how that was coming up. They just couldn't find any, any suitable areas for them um, mm. at that time. And the, the, uh, the issue was in doubt about um, you know, whether re-embarkation and that evacuation would right. occur uh, but, and the like. Mm. So uh, it wasn't until later on that night that that gun got in. But the, your, your, your depiction on the, uh, for the 26th is spot on. Right. And what about the horse? Did they did they actually they they they, they embarked some horses, didn't they, on the lighters or something? Uh, did they, they actually get ashore or not? Uh, they did. Uh, I'm just reading here that, um, and I'll just read this this paragraph. During the afternoon, Hobbs found a position on the right flank suitable for two guns. Now Hobbs is one of the senior um, artillery officers. 
and at 5.30pm, one gun from Four Battery landed and was dragged by its horses along the beach. It was then manhandled by 100 men up a steep path to its position. Its first shot was fired at 6pm, and before nightfall, it had fired 62 rounds, silencing with the help of fire from a cruiser, a troublesome enemy gun, on a small headland of Gabatipi to the south of the Anzac position. Ah, so, so, so it, it's 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 likely, or it's certainly possible, that that photo we saw of the gun being manhandled yeah. is that fourth, first, fourth battery gun. Yeah, and then may may well be. May and then my grandfather landed on the morning of the twenty sixth. And and Which I. Is and which is the Monday, would the guns have been sort of lo- located together? And where, fr- from a geographic position, where, where were they, if you could tell us that? I don't um, know you... Yeah, Queensland Point, which is the, um, the, the southernmost component of, uh, of Anzac Coast. Um, and it, uh, I actually walked over that area trying to find some, some, some um, you know, any trace or elements of it. But that was the best firing position for them to be able to fire uh, Towards and still have some um, some protection, because come six you know six thirty when oh sorry six o'clock when the, that gun fired, um, what the telltale sign is not the noise it's actually the flash coming from the barrel. Yeah. Gee. So that if they can if they can have that obscured in some way, uh, it just gives them a little bit more cover, um, and uh, so that they didn't have any return fire coming in. So it does. It does play a little bit on um, on exactly where that position would be. In fact, I will just grab my map out of Gallipoli. So, um, Queensland Point uh, is one that definitely has come up uh, in the previous one about where those guns have gone. So it's so it's likely so the guns okay we're in Gallipoli, Turkey okay symmetry in Queensland. I've got Lone Pine here and then I've got behind it well to the right if you like well, yeah I've got the Anzac where 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 the ceremonies are held. Now that that Darrell that little southern flip that goes out which is the site of the um, Ari Burnu Cemetery. It was in that area there. Uh, Ari, Ari Burnu Cemetery. Ari Burnu yeah sorry. Yep. My pronunciation. So Ari, Ari Burnu is around from Anzac Coast. And yeah. the, the spit that sort of comes out on that southern yeah. side, is, it's yeah. called Hell Spit, and then it goes into Brighton Beach. Now, Brighton is that, that long oh, beach that's that comes down and it goes yeah. straight into the hills directly yeah. behind it. Um, but it was ideal, it was flat and the like, but Anzac Cave gave them a little bit more cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably from where the gun is going up there, certainly, and uh, our memory of walking on the, on the shingles there, or the rocks as they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, just to look, the Sphinx was to the left, wasn't it? When you were standing at Anzac Cove, when we were looking generally upwards yep. there, the Sphinx was a little to the left, wasn't it? I think that it was, and it's very prominent. Um, and it was yeah. called Sphinx because of the, the guys' um, yeah, uh, experience in, in uh, Egypt. And just in front of that was also um, what was called the Razorback, uh, which was a very knife-edge um, uh, feature coming straight off. Um, and I actually climbed up on that and had to have a, a foot each side to try and stabilise. You know, it's interesting, you know, and I, I must have known well, I've been 79 or 80, I guess, when I was over there. I remember, you know, I puffed up Hill and Down Dale and it was all the time, you're still there, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> but um, it, it was incredible, you know, this is, this is uh, it was pretty warm on the day and I know, you know, their times were somewhat different mm-hmm. <laughs> places, but the reality of... Getting the devil knocked out of you with with gunfire and that sort of stuff, and 
trying to get a woodland right it would have been a hell of a task because it was crumbly oh, very much. sort of soil, very much. wasn't it, at the best. I'll probably yeah, David to take up off the lane pine somewhere. He dived into an old trench line, wasn't it, David? Yeah. He disappeared from sight. <laughs> so um, it it's is incredible. Well, obviously, that's the problem, yeah. Yeah, when I take um, tour groups over, and I've taken some uh, some legacy kids over to the Western Front, and uh, I used to run a thing called the Gallipoli Scholarship Program for, for my boss, the Chief of the Army. Um, and one of the things I always say to people is, when you're standing up and you're looking at something, is not the not the soldier's depiction of it. The soldiers fight on 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 the ground or subground, as as um, Gallipoli was, uh, yeah. but the guns have to try and maintain as level as possible. Um, what the, the axles, okay, because on those are the trunnions. So if they're tilted, then your rounds will not be as accurate as whatever. So when a, when a gun fires, the trajectory of the, uh, the spin of the projectile goes um, from left to right. So it spins to the right. Uh, and we have to take all of that into account on the mathematical calculation um, so that we can get the best, um, uh, you know, the best fire possible. Well, that's looking at accurate. Yeah, what what do I know about that too? You know, my I did three months in uh, three fifty six in the thirteen uh, National Service Training Battalion down at Ingleburn. Mm. But yeah, it's it's it is quite incredible though the the technology. Well, as I said, generally, why would people think? Oh, you know, a big gun's a big gun. That, uh, somebody pulls a lanyard, and well, prior to that, somebody's whacked a, a round in. And did they have to wad oh, right. those at all too, or how did they? Just as a matter of interest, uh, on no, eighteen pounder, eighteen pounder had a um, had separated ammunition so that they would uh, the, the round would be um, placed in, and then the cartridge yeah. case placed in behind it. And with from memory, adjustable charge bags, so um, which would be depicted to the range. Gosh, so, yeah. just the you know the sheer logistics of it all is, is quite. Boggling too, isn't it? Uh, you know, we, we oh, talk about getting the gun at all, but yeah. imagine getting the ammunition. Mean, I don't know what's an eighteen-pounder weigh? A round, I wonder. It'd be pretty solid. Uh, uh, yeah. the, the round itself. Yes. yes. The, the round weighs solid. eighteen pounds. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, and then the explosive composition. Now the guns. The the problem they also had was they had shrapnel ammunition. So um, shrapnel is uh, a lot of people call. Um, everything to sort of blast out of the gun, out from the round shrapnel, but shrapnel is pellets, um, so the the round would go over and then explode and then shot, um, spray the ground with um, pellets around the size of a, um, a fishing sinker, uh, and they were they were savage over there. I've, I've got um, a number of them here on my on my bookcase, mm. uh, and what would happen is when they they hit the bodies, um, you know the, the soldiers, they'd, they'd rain down from the top, so. Trying to get under, you know, below ground um, was all yeah. important. Yeah, gee whiz. High explosive was, but uh, high explosive rounds was exactly what they needed, but they didn't arrive until later. No, look, the you know, if ever you wanted one stuff up after another from the initial planning and so on, it'd be a bit, a bit hard to find it, wouldn't it? Really, they uh, so many um, men. Well, this was or... a very rushed campaign. It took 36 oh. days. They, they planned it in 36 days um, because that was Churchill uh, wanted wanted action there, didn't he? Oh, very much, and um, uh, you know, even um, how how the forts are constructed. And if you only had a, a day at Gallipoli, you probably would have missed seeing um, the Turkish forts. But they were really, really well constructed um, because if for a battleship to come up through the Narrows, the Turkish um, tri- uh, Turkish forts were designed that they, were, they had large embankments, so they didn't fire straight out across the Narrows. 
they fired at an oblique angle to the left. So as the, the um, battleships would come past, the Turks would be able to get a shot into the bowels of the battleship before the guns were able to bear back um, and fire uh, beyond the, uh, the earth and mounds, which are on the side. We, and I can yeah, send we, you photos of those. I, my, um, we, we, can I just ask, uh, uh, right I'm, I'm just a question of the geography of all this too. We went down to this, this huge fort. There's a Kili Bahia, Bahia in the south Kili of Bahia. Um, yep. Kili Bahia. Was that the big That's fort, right. David? Yes. And uh, they had this huge gun and they had one of the situations of this, uh, you know, it was a matter of interest, obviously, this huge Turkish fellow, and he was huge. He was about the only fellow that could, you know, literally carry one of the rounds. Right. And I don't know what, uh, what you know, size the gun was. You're aware of the fellow, but yeah. I think he died of a heart attack eventually. They just killed him, you know, it was too much eventually. Yeah, but, but, but well after the battle. Um, and what happened was it's... Um, the loading mechanism on the weapons failed and he actually picked the round up himself. Um, and then post, when it all finished and he was a hero, yeah. he, uh, he tried to do it again, he couldn't, but it was just the adrenaline pump um, during yeah. combat that yeah, uh, allowed him to do that. Uh, but, but, uh, he, he, oh, yeah, it was a, a great story about him, yeah. I've, yeah, I've, well, it is, was it? I've, I've had look at, another look at that photo of the pontoons going ashore and the yeah. War Memorial does say that mm -hmm. they that they are going ashore on the 26th. So again, there's a there's a chance that grandfather might have, might be one of the uh, one of the soldiers in the photo. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and it's it's a good assumption that he was he'd gone ashore on that day. He's spoken about it, um, whether it was him on that on that particular one, but it's still it, it's a great credibility to him uh, to go ashore at that time. Um, yeah, with his gun, with the limber. Um, because the, the, the what they call the wagon is actually an ammunition limber, which held mm. um, which held the rounds in the cartridge cases, and it would go between the horse the horse carriage uh, sorry the, the horse team, then the limber, then the gun, mm. uh, and the gun would be um, you know, the last in the in the line of that uh, mm. um, behind the horses. The other thing, and before we end the call today, sure. the other thing we want to have a quick chat about is obviously this photograph of um, of Charles Hat. Um, Absolutely. Taken with sergeant stripes. Now this photo was taken. I've got to look at the date. Sixteen. Again. It's it's in his own yeah, hand there. Yeah, in so 1916. Yep. Sixteen or fifteen? Mm. Sixteen, actually, I think. Sixteen. Actually. Oh, think you find that's, that's, the, that's the funny thing about it that he he's he's obviously back, um, and he's it's a it's a posed photo on one of the old uh, so, so, you know. But of course, you know, militia-wise, I suppose, you know, why would you do it? Because I don't. He wasn't the sort well, of. Well, I've got a bit of information on that. Yeah. Yeah, I got a little bit of info on that, and what I did was I, I spoke to a friend of mine who um, he's 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 all things artillery, all things guns, um, and he was not. He had some theories. Now that that other one that you sent me, David, that 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 lady had sent. Um, was pretty much on the ball, and I'd already come across that same sort of conclusion. But what's now seeded this into it is another gentleman by the name of Ken had a look at the photo, and he went, yep. He said, uh, and then in his quick research, um, that Charles never discharged from the 19th Battery. So what happened was when he... And this is my now my theory, because this is what I actually would have done if I was in his boots... Um, everyone had war fever, they wanted to enlist. 
he was there, and had he had to take discharge, he probably would not have understood. You know, he was probably worried that, oh no, I'm in the militia. The militia is in charge of home service. I won't get to go, and I'm going to miss out. Mm-hmm. So that's why he joined so early, um, and that's why he may have joined under a different name. Mm. But by by Ken's records, and he's just sent me some links. But it's sixteen hundred pages of roll books oh, um, that I've got to go through. Um, but it's uh, he's he had said that um, to the best of his knowledge that Charles didn't discharge from the militia, but he joined the AIF. Um, okay. When he's come back, if you can imagine that um, that the uh, the militia was absolutely robbed of all of their best um, best men and best officers because they all wanted to get over to the real fight. Um, that's yes. what they trained for, and that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. So the militia was left very um, hollow with 17 and 18 year olds with very little um, leadership um, uh, um, members or yeah, some, some NCOs and officers who could provide the leadership. They were either extremely old or unfit for the AIF, but the young 17 and 18 year olds were craving for it. Mm-hmm. So when, with Charles coming back and being able to flip back into the militia, um, would not have been out of the realms of possibility. And if we can find his well, name, whether it's Hat or Hall, um, on there, but the only problem is it's not alphabetical. Yeah. Um, it's it's been PDF, and uh, so it's like going through page by page by page, um, but also trying to find the units. So I've seen infantry ones. I've seen the um, the ambulances in there. Uh, it's now just trying to find the artillery, and that will give a really well, good thing because these these roll books are dated 1919. Right. It's, it's interesting. I just, yeah. there's, right. uh, so, th- so this photo was taken the 10th of August 1916. Um, yeah. He's wearing sergeant stripes, sergeant chevrons. Oh, yeah. the, he's still got a colour yes. patch on his yes. on his right um, right sleeve. There's also you mentioned that that badge or that little badge or something uh, on his right. left left yeah. um, pocket. Uh, yeah. So um, that was no, that was from the lady who was saying that. Um, that it was like a, uh, a fundraising badge. Ah, okay. that, that could be right. Or it could be um, uh, one of the first small badges for uh, medically unfit or return from active yeah. service or whatever um, because the, the white feather was, was probably oh, of course. Yeah, one yeah. as well. Okay. That would make sense, wouldn't it? That and, would make yeah. sense. So, um, so it was along that. And um, uh, But what happened is that badge that is on his cap and I, I particularly asked that question. And um, this Ken had come back and said that wearing of those artillery-centric badges um, to distinguish themselves from from, uh, from other corps was prevalent in the AIF. And, uh, in fact, I looked at a photo today of a 4th Battery guy who arrived and joined 4th Battery um, at Gallipoli on the 25th. Uh, was, I'm sure that he's wearing a, um, one of those badges as well. But traditionally, the badge that Charles has got on his hat um, belongs to a gun sergeant and it would be worn above um, the sergeant's stripes and he would be in command of the gun and the gun detachment. Right. Um, no. but, but to wear it on there, that was just well, his distinguishing mark. As a kid, and my mother had uh, a metal brown trunk, I remember this, and, and it, mm-hmm. it, it went missing. And, and it's, it's a family bit of a tragedy as far as I was concerned, but look, it's, it is what it is. And it had his jacket... Which had the sergeant stripes. I remember that distinctly. Yes. He had his jodfers. He had um, leather leggings, leather ones at the yes. you know, couple of straps they wound up. Uh, two spurs. 
Because yep. and uh, the, the, look, the, there was probably one or two other things, and there was the slouch hat too, certainly. And that that's uh, as I said, it was just a. Anyway, as I say, life is what it is. I suppose you, you, hindsight's a great yeah. thing. Um, Daryl, sorry, yeah. going back to the, uh, the the hat badge he's wearing is a, is an yeah. artillery hat badge. Are you saying that was or was not normal um, in terms of? Uh, no, it, it was it was um, it was prevalent throughout the AIF, especially with artillery, but they wanted to wear a distinctive badge. Right. Um, so, of his own accord, he's put that on. Um, and no one's ever come and, you know, uh, Ken had said that he'd seen a photo of a gunner in um, London uh, wearing that same badge. Mm. And it's not like the it's not like our artillery badge that we wear today, yeah. which can come out between the wars. And in, but in, it's, a, it's a, a detachment commander's badge and he's just simply put it on his hat. That's the podcast for today. You can find the relevant links to this podcast and photos on our Facebook page. We're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave a review. If you are interested in sponsorship or support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. And you can also support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanks for your service. Thanks for listening.